Amen. I love that last song. That's perfect. I tell you, they uh, did a great job putting the music together for this morning. Like I said, we're talking about radical revival, and um, where I'm, the scripture passage I'm using is in Acts chapter 17. Acts chapter 17. Beginning in verse 1, if you'd like to stand with me as we read God's word, those that are able. When they had passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining, explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. But the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they had, did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials shouting these men have caused trouble all over the world have now come here and Jason has welcomed them into his house they are defying Caesar's decrees saying that there is another king one called Jesus when they heard this the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil they made the then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go may God bless the reading of his word may be seated we think of revival, we think of a series of meetings, let's face it. That's kind of what we have done in America these days, and really, really around the world. We think of revival as, oh, we come and we meet for, it used to be two weeks, then we kind of zapped it down to a week, and now it's down to three days, and then some do Sunday to Sunday to Sunday for a few times or whatever. That's kind of how we do revivals these days. But is that really what revival is, is a series of meetings. Now, yes, we can get all hyped up and get all excited and we look, look kind of looks good and it's, it's what we want and we all long for that. But let, let's, let's look at it a little bit closer. We all want it. We all want to see lives change and people saved. I could take a poll and it would probably unanimously go that way. No one in this room would say that they didn't want revival to really happen. Nobody. I can't imagine, unless you're just saying, bah humbug, I'm not going to do it. You know, it's not going to do it. And when we have a series of meetings, we'll spend time in prayer and in, invite friends and invite some family and encourage one another and put um, money in the offering plate to try to make it happen. You know, we'll do all those things that, that it might be necessary to have a revival. So if we agree that we want revival, we also need to know that it's going to begin in us. You see, revival just doesn't happen, oh, to that other person. Though sometimes I wonder. We also know what we want revival to look like. Don't we? We already got it kind of in our head. Here it is. Everyone's excited. There's some tears from, from lives being changed. And for people coming to know Christ and say, a full church, overflowing, maybe seats in the aisles and, and in the back and all those things. Everybody in a harmonious 
and a one body believers, everything just glorious and exciting. That's what we want. Let's face it, that's how we picture revival. That's exactly what it looks like. We, we just, oh, everybody is in perfect harmony and everybody is this. The choir sings gloriously and all the music, everything is just amazing. But what happens if revival doesn't look like that? What does it really look like that? Is it really life-changing? Is it radical? So what do you mean radical? The dictionary says it's a thorough, let me, I wrote it down here. A thorough and far-reaching out of the ordinary. There are some others that put it politically, you know, political extremism and da 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 da, da. But that's the one I kind of like because I'm thinking far-reaching, thorough, out of the ordinary, radical is different. It's just changing. So if that's really what we wanted, that's really what happens in our lives, what will it really look like? Well, first we've got to understand that we're not much different from the people of the day that Paul was there. We really aren't. I, can't, I do it. I'm sure some of you all do it. I, you know, like I said, I'm a little out there more than others. That, but I, I always think of, of the Bible people as this especially holy group. You know, they're, they, they're much more in tune than we are today. But that's not true. Matter of fact, if we knew some of the stuff that really went on back in those days, we would be as appalled as we are at what's going on today in our world. I mean, it didn't look a lot different. It really did. They had the same sexual immorality. They had the same political turmoil. They had the same disease stuff going on. They had the same people that just tried to do things bad and tried to change, make right wrong and wrong right. They did the exact same junk we are doing today. But we seem to think, well, but they're biblical times. They didn't do that. They wanted dynamic preaching, but they didn't really want to be challenged in their belief. <laughs> you see, we like the, the exciting fiery revival preachers where he slams the pulpit he says glory to God and God loves you and that, you know, we want all that but do we really want the and you better get your life back in order and you should be praising the Lord reading his scripture following him and making sure every decision you make is done through him we don't want to hear that do we you're gonna buy a new car Make sure God wants you to buy a new car. Now, wait a minute, Wes. That's a little radical. Jesus was a little radical. Y'all think about that? You ever thought about how radical Jesus was? He hung out with tax collectors, fishermen, and all those folks who stayed far away from them, religious folks, and those people that preached and those people that ran the churches and the priests. Think about it. He didn't hang out with those. Matter of fact, he called them what a bunch of serpents most of the time. He was always getting on to them. But who did he hang out? He hung out with the everyday folks. And some of the <clears throat> seedier side of the everyday folks. 
didn't he? You think about it. We, we, you know, we think he just walked around. What is it? I think it was Jeremiah people used to do comic strip things, comic things and Christian comedy. And, and they said, who is Jesus? He held lambs a lot. You know, we, we picture this, you know, ethereal look on him and all. Folks, <laughs> I'm not sure if Jesus walked in today, we would wonder, that's Jesus? Really? He, he's not what I pictured as Jesus because we think of things other than that. Jesus was unique in that he proclaimed to be the Christ. While the people were looking for the Messiah to come, they didn't expect the Messiah to look and act like Jesus. Otherwise, he would have been accepted. And in our churches today, I'm not even sure we would understand it. I think a lot of, the, a lot of us think that Jesus is a Republican dressed in red, white, and blue and cheers at football games. You know, now let's, here again, we're going to get radical here. I've heard several sermons and have probably even preached one. Was Jesus a Democrat or a Republican? Well, in a lot of our churches today, we'd say, he was a Republican. In other churches, some would say, he was a Democrat. You know, he probably was neither one. He probably was a combination of the two. Because I'm sure he likes some of the things Republicans do, but I'm sure he likes some of the things Democrats do. And we find that hard to believe, or we one way or the other. I don't care which side of the fence you're on. It's hard to imagine, because we think God's on our side. He's on the side of America. He wants America to be... Folks, <laughs> Jesus challenged their preconceived ideas of God and who he was. If you think about it. They had their idea of God, you know, one way. Frankly, they had pictures of the Old Testament, and God was pretty harsh. Check one, two. Hey, and he's back. You yeah, see, we, we always say that Satan will get you. You get wound up good, and you know Satan will jump in there with the, with the microphone and say, give me a break. <laughs> I have no idea where I was. You know, <laughs> my ADD will go <laughs> everywhere. But God did challenge their preconceived ideas. He challenges our preconceived ideas. He came and said, you know, God's not just all this about zapping you every time you do something wrong. He is about loving you, but he also expects you to love people that we don't really think we should be loving. He told them to love what, what was a good Samaritan. You think, it was, he, you think it was coincidence as he was telling that story that he used a Samaritan that was the one beat up? 
the, I mean, the one that was Samaritan that came and helped? Do you think, he, you think that was a coincidence? That you, no. Because if he was here today in USA, he would say, and then the Muslim came by and helped them out and took them. Ooh, see? Look at things a little differently, don't we? When it comes that way. That's a radical thought. Wait a minute. That person wouldn't help. Yes, that person would help. So revival will prove to be radical when we change our preconceived ideas of Christ and who he is and was and is in our lives. You see, Christ in our lives looks different to everyone. The way Christ looks in my life is different the way Christ looks in Bobby's life. It looks different. Does that mean mine's better? Are Bobby's is better? No, it means it's different. Our relationship with Christ is personal. That's what we call a personal relationship with Christ. It's personal. And he, it manifests itself through us all personally and individually and through the way we are. And frankly, through our lenses. Because we see the world totally different. You know, there's some of us that are optimists and everything's glorious and wonderful and everybody's looking out for the good of me. There's some of us that are pessimists and everybody's terrible and awful and everything, they're trying to get me. Right? Now, when you're looking through those two different lenses, the way you minister is different. I'm not saying it's wrong or right, it's just different because that's the way we are. We have a message of hope that this world needs to hear. And we have to understand that the angry God is, that, that we fear so much is really the God of love and second chances. That's what Jesus came to show, that it's second chances. They looked at God as somebody up there, we better follow all the rules, right? And that, and, and that the way they, the, the Pharisees were, they, now we got rules, God gave us these lists. And we've added to them, but we're going to show him, you know, this is how we're supposed to do it. Well, let's add a few extra ones because we know God wants us to follow rules just right. And then Jesus did what? Broke some of the rules. That can't be the Son of God. He would never break a rule. The Son of God would not break one of our rules. Oh, yeah? Was man built for the Sabbath or was the Sabbath built for man? Which way does it go? How does that work? We can save an ox out of a ditch, but we can't help a hurting person? How does that work? You see, all of a sudden, our rules is what's filtering what we think. And a lot of times I think we in America think, okay, God wants us to be Americans just like this, and that's who he's really for. Sorry, folks. God is for following him, trusting him, and letting others know, looking out for your brother and your sister, watching out for those around us. He is showing forgiveness to those that have fought, done something against us. He is showing us we're supposed to accept forgiveness when somebody's wronged us and they ask for forgiveness. We're actually supposed to accept it and go on. We're supposed to work that way time after time after time. All these people see this. They saw that and when they told and explained these scriptures, what happened? 
many people were saved. And when we preached the word of God and preached Jesus and him crucified and him rising from the dead and that he loves you and saves you, they will come to know and save you and become saved and will accept him as their personal savior. And also what will happen when that happens? People believed, uh, there's a bunch of those that were jealous. <laughs> it's funny how when God moves in somebody's life, and it doesn't necessarily move the same way in someone else's life. We kind of get jealous of the way they do. Their... I think I told you the story about my guys in the, the room that, that had God's presence there. And they, were, they were studying God's word. They were doing all this. A bunch of high schoolers and, and kids that who would have thought. And, they, and God's spirit was really moving in their lives. Well, that happened to the boys in the boys' room. And, well, the girls found out about that. And they were kind of going... We didn't have any cool experience like that. We didn't do that. And they were all, they were a little jealous, as tends to be. And I think that happens to us. Our churches sometimes get jealous of another one. Another church is going and blowing and everything's running and doing the right things. And, and they're growing, they're baptizing every week. And we're kind of going, we baptize anybody in a while. What's wrong with this? They're, why is it just them? How come they get to have everything? They must have the right preacher. Those right preachers I used, that I used to be jealous of, still am <laughs> sometimes, but I, that I get jealous of too, they'll tell you, I just got there and preach and everything just happened. I don't know what happened. I can't take any credit for it. And, you know, it, those things happen. God provides seasons and in, in season and out of season. Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's bad. Sometimes, we don't know. There's a time of drought. Then there's a time of plenty. We're ready for a time of plenty. I know. We all are. We've, we've seen the drought long enough. We want plenty. But guess what? He will work in his time, and he will lead. It is easy to feel left out when others are experiencing something great. We also have trouble believing that God can change some people. I knew them back when. Oh, what are they doing here? Oh, are you kidding? They came to the doors. Is the roof going to fall in? We've all experienced that. A person that hadn't been in 40 forevers kind of go, oh, bless their hearts. What are they doing here? But guess what? If we believe God can change anybody, <laughs> he can change anybody. 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 We struggle with that because that person may have been somebody that wronged you. A known pedophile can walk in and we would all go, <laughs> but maybe God's ready to move in their life. There are some sins that we just struggle with. There are some sins that we just can't get over. And our own biases and our own things pick those sins that we just can't get over. It's interesting, it seems, that we almost can forgive, well, we can forgive murderers easier than we can forgive a pedophile. Or, and let's face it. And guess what? If you're a parent and have a child, you could pretty much forgive them. 
If anybody read The Shack, the, the book The Shack, I, I recommend it. It's not, it's not supposedly a Christian, but it's got some Christian overtones in it. And the guy has to forgive the person that raped and murdered his baby, his child. How do you do that? I have no clue. I don't know that I could. I'll be, I'm, I'm just being real. I don't know that I could. But you see, God can change anybody. And we don't want to struggle with that, but we do. But you know, that's radical revival. Sometimes we may need a radical plan <laughs> to see radical results. What if we're supposed to way we change? What if we're supposed to change the way we reach out to people? Because let's face it, we've had to do that in the last couple of years, haven't we? We've had to change the way we go after people. New ideas are hard to do sometimes, a different ways, and it's hard. It's easy to get so deep with things that we've always done that it's difficult to try something new and radical. <laughs> What if I'm supposed to do and say things I've never done before? It's said that it's easier to add things to a Baptist schedule than it is to take something off of a Baptist schedule. It's nearly impossible. I'll, I'll tell you a story about it. Y'all do homecoming. Homecoming's great, right? We did homecoming at my former church. Did homecoming all the time. Every year. Dinner on the grounds. Blah, 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 blah. Well, our church grew. And our new facility was set up different, so we kind of looked at homecoming a little differently. So what we decided to do was have homecoming, a big homecoming, once every five years, where we'd really celebrate, really go at it, really do it. But the other three, other four years, we would just recognize that it, this is our homecoming day and just say a few things and then go on. No dinner on the grounds. You'd have thought I'd asked them to deny salvation. What do you mean we're not having dinner on the grounds? What do you mean we're not doing the full-blown thing every year? Well, we've added about 100 new people, and they don't have the homecoming tradition that you do, and homecoming's become just another Sunday. So we're going to make it special every five years. But we always had dinner on the ground. We should have dinner on the ground. Because Jesus had dinner on the grounds. You see what I'm saying? And we do this. And we don't think that it's that big. But I'm not kidding. Sunday school classes were an uprise. They were having meetings. They were trying to decide what's going on. They're just getting all crazy. They're just trying to change our church. They're trying to do things so different. I don't know what they think. They're just catering to those new folks. You see? It doesn't take much. You think the new folks didn't enjoy dinner on the grounds? Of course they did. Of course the new folks enjoyed it. Of course we all did. But guess what? It had to be done different. We were making it ho-hum. You ever been there? Where things became ho-hum? We have to trust the Holy Spirit to give us power that will help us do what we need to do it's impossible to do it in our own 
power. You got that? We cannot have radical revival. We cannot have things happen in our lives without the Holy Spirit's power. That's the difference. The hardest part we have to be committed to, we have to be committed to the task. Prayer and prayer and more prayer must go into the efforts of revival. It's not a series of meetings. It is an action and reaction to the moving and the power of the Spirit of God. That is what revival really is. We're pretty good with commitment for a short time. It's the long haul that's hard, isn't it? Let's face it. You know, I, I, can, I can do my yard work for a couple weeks. A couple years? That's a little harder to do. If you hadn't figured it out, I don't like to do yard work. I can't imagine keeping bees or whatever on the long haul. I'd get tired of them things. I'd be tired of getting stung. I'd get tired of messing with them. You know, I would get tired of all that. I didn't know about bees till I came here. I'll be honest, I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what bees were. I knew that they created honey, and I just bought it in the store. You know, I just. The good news is a small yet committed group of people can change things. They say that 3% of the population changed chi communism to chi China to communism. 3%. Which scares me for America, because we know small numbers can change radically they even have a the, the state church is there they, the three self church or something that it's called and it's it's a it could be a christian church and they can preach and they can sing hymns they can't evangelize they're not allowed to try to persuade people to go their way is that really a church because you see that's part of what we're called to do, isn't it? It's to reach out in those, to those people. We know that Jesus and 12 disciples changed the perception and relationship of God for everyone in this world. For all of us. That's the difference he's made. So what will we do? Will we pray for a long and radical movement of God in our lives? Or are we just going to let it go? You see, God wants to work through us. He really does. But he needs able bodies that are willing bodies. Because, you know, as we get older, as I get older, my body doesn't work quite as well as it used to. But he still wants me to be willing to use what I can and do what I can. That's what we're called to do. And when we do that, a radical change will happen in your life. It really will. And when he changes you, it kind of spreads. And that's when real revival happens. It begins with one. A little song, it only takes a spark to get the fire going, pass it on. Guess what? That's what it takes. Will you let God use you to be that spark as we move to
towards revival. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We want revival, but we're afraid sometimes. What are you going to ask us to do? How will it look? How will I be different? But Lord, we know we need to change and we need to follow you. Show us who you are. Change us. Revive us again. Fill us with your presence and your spirit so that we may show the world that you have come to save them and that there is hope for them. Thank you for your hope and presence. In Jesus' name, amen. This is our time.